I'm Kay Firth Butterfield at the World Economic Forum. And I'm Miriam Vogel with Equal AI. And this is In AI We Trust. Welcome back to In AI We Trust. Kay, we are so happy to have you back from your travels this week. It's great to see you. Tell us, where in the world have you been? Ah, well, thank you very much. And it's lovely to be here as always. I guess the most important place that I've been was San Francisco for the three-day conference that the World Economic Forum hosted on generative AI and how we can put safeguards around generative AI. It was a very interesting conference with many of the people who are designing and building, as well as with many policymakers and people from around the world. So a great mix of people who should have been in the room. And I'm looking forward to what will be the recommendations that come out of that. But I think you've been busier than me. I may have been traveling, but you've been doing a lot. Well, I don't know about busier than you. We've been having some fun for sure. I was so sorry to miss that conference, uh, but that was during the NIAC public meetings. And, and that was really productive. 26 people who for a year spent time thinking about what we could recommend in short order. And we have a report that by the time this is broadcast, should have been delivered to the president and is then officially public. It is right now posted on the AI.gov backslash NIAC website. So people can see what NIAC has been up to for the past year, some of the things we've been thinking about. And we also touch a little bit on what's going to happen in year two, as well as year three. So that was good fun had some great talks, got to hear from other panelists that I really enjoyed hearing from. We had just today with the Boston Globe, had a really interesting conference I enjoyed participating in, and there've been several others really enjoying hearing what people are saying on this topic of such great interest of responsible AI and, and what governance should look like at this pivotal time. And as you know, last week, we got to really have a deep dive on this topic at our Equal AI AI Summit here in DC, and that was just good fun and, and so interesting. It was a balance between salon, dinner, breakfast, and lunch, where we heard from State Department, members of Congress, bipartisan voices on what needs to happen in the AI space. Representative Ted Lieu and Congressman Beyer and Congressman Obernolte, you know, people who make Congress look good in terms of their deep thought and intentionality on, on what the AI regulatory space should look like and what the legal structure should look like and what we all need to do to make sure that that happens. And then in between, we had some workshops with participants from the badge program, whom, as you know, are so thoughtful and involved and really doing the important work within their companies to make sure that they realize responsible AI governance and the AI that we're using and benefiting from has that thoughtful input behind it. And so working with them on aligning on responsible AI governance principles in the morning, and then we did a generative AI use case simulation in the afternoon with some great judges, including Reggie Townsend, who we'll hopefully have on this show at some point soon, as well as Victoria Espinel, who was kind enough to sit in while you were traveling. So, so much good stuff happening, and, and hopefully we can be productive and make sure with our respective organizations and nonprofits that this leads into a positive direction, which Speaking of, our guest today will have, I know, some great thoughts. Uh, Gilman Louie has advised government. He has worked in the public space and the private space. And I'm really looking forward to hearing what his thoughts are on AI governance at this moment. Likewise, let's dive in. Hello and welcome back to this week's episode of In AI We Trust. This week, we are delighted to be joined by Gilman Louie. CEO and co-founder of America's Frontier Fund, where he's responsible for the vision and leadership of the nonprofit developed to enable a whole-of-nation approach to support critical technology and ensure U.S. competitiveness. Previously, Gilman served as an early CEO of InQtel, the pioneering technology investment firm partially funded by the government. 
He was a consultant to the Defense Innovation Board and just recently served as commissioner of the National Security Commission on AI. Our listeners will remember hearing from fellow commissioner Bob Work previously, and we'll look forward to hearing updates since that report's release. In addition to his role at America's Frontier Fund, Gilman is currently the chairman of the National Intelligence University, chairman of the Federation of American Scientists, and a member of the President's Intelligence Advisory Board, a member of the U.S. Department of State's Foreign Affairs Policy Board, and many other organizations. He also serves on numerous commercial and advisory boards, including the Maxar Corporation, Niantic, and several others. Gilman, thank you so much for joining us on our show today. Miriam, I'm really, really excited to be here. And of course, I'll be speaking on behalf of America's Frontier Fund and not on behalf of any of my other roles, but I think we have a lot of things to discuss. I'm looking forward to it. Absolutely. Duly noted, and we respect that completely. So speaking of your vast experience, we would love to just hear from you. You've been at the intersection of business and technology. You have been at the forefront of AI. When did artificial intelligence first come across your radar? And how did you become interested in the responsible part of AI? Well, like many of us, we were excited about the possibility of artificial intelligence, you know, way back from the 60s. You know, I, I grew up in the age of Star Trek and Star Wars and, you know, uh, the miracles of computing. And, you know, I still remember fondly as a, you know, nine-year-old watching Captain Kirk talk to his computer and asking myself, you know, one day that's going to become real. And, you know, all through the entire microcomputer revolution, uh, back in the days when personal computers was a new thing, you know, we were playing on things like Eliza and to see that that dream and that vision turn into reality within a lifetime. It's just been an amazing transformation from whimsical idea to the things that affect us every single day. So from a AI point of view, I grew up with it. I dreamed about it, built companies around it. And today, you know, trying to think through what are the policy areas. And I think on the responsible AI side, as AI became much more practical and a tool that was open to the masses versus a very specialized capability, the need to have frameworks where people can build and trust these systems is going to be critical on whether or not AI is going to develop the kinds of technologies that are going to benefit humankind versus it being the wild, wild west. And so responsible AI goes well beyond any of the work that you know we've done on the commissions and thought through it from a policy point of view, but responsible AI is a not only a framework of thinking about a problem, but it's everybody's responsibility who not only creates the technology, but also who uses it every single day. That's really interesting, Gilman. And I think it's particularly interesting because there are so many of us working in this field that were brought up on some form of science fiction that really impressed us or sparked our imaginations. And I remember the Lever Human Center for the Future of Intelligence actually did a survey of those people working in this area and asked them what their influences were. And predominantly, they were influences from the sci-fi canon. I want to dig a little bit more into your work and so wondering if you can tell our listeners more about your focus as CEO and co-founder of America's Frontier Fund. Why did you create the fund and what types of companies are you investing in? Great question, Kay. As you kind of look at where we are today, we're seeing a, a massive transformation driven by the power of compute. And, you know, if you go across the last several decades, we've seen these kind of inflection points, you know. It was Sputnik that led to the space race, right? It's this idea of trusted communications and reliable communications that led to the whole birth of the semiconductor industry that serves as the foundation for everything that we do every single day that we take for granted, the rise of the mobile phone, cellular technology, all these things that, quite frankly, my 18 and 20-year-olds take for granted right? It's hard to imagine that when we were born, the world was still being operated off of slide rules, right? 
so now we're at this this point and i think the difference between today and the other periods of time is that technology being powered by this unbelievable awesome power of compute that's currently in the form of artificial intelligence and things like generative ai uh, is changing linear transformation to exponential transformation and there's a couple challenges that we have first if the us wants to have its leadership position and continue to lead the world not just in the providing technologies and using technology but to be kind of the beacon of how to use these technologies in an ethical way we have to be thoughtful about it it's not going to happen by accident i think the second thing as you thought through thinking about why we needed to create a separate organization that these technologies driven by ai that will open up new areas of exploration and transformation from everything from potentially fusion power to quantum computing to next generation synthetic biology to advanced manufacturing and autonomy all of it centers around whether or not we can build ai systems right that we trust that are reliable that works within our ethical frameworks that we as society take for granted that a machine does not understand and so there was a missing gap between those working on the policy side, those building the technologies, and those who were investing in it. So AFF's job is to work across those various lanes, right, taking and tackling some of these bigger challenges and set up a vision of what a better future would look like and help develop a roadmap for us to get there. That is really interesting. And we want to hear more about what that map looks like. And you recently stated in an interview that AI has taken the world by storm. I don't think Kay and I would disagree with that at all. And what's interesting is contrary to the pause that many have asked for, you have said what we heard in the congressional hearing yesterday, we need to speed up that train, certainly not stop it and double down, essentially, it sounds like. Can you tell us more about how you came to this decision? You know, what's your assessment and, and why is that the right course? And, and, and talking about the framework you've just mentioned, you know, how do we proceed safely? So, you know, the way I'm looking at AI, specifically generative AI, because that's the topic of interest these days because of BARD and chat GBT and, and, and how accessible it is um, and how powerful these technologies can affect everyday life, right? And people are now are interacting with these systems, you know, hundreds of millions of times every single day, you know, uh, using these systems. So this technology is wonderful, it's exciting, but it's immature and we don't totally understand where it's going. So should we slow down, be thoughtful about it, right? Or do we need to speed up and build the kinds of systems that become more reliable? So I was trying to think too, you know, I, mean, I think both sides of that argument had reasonable, strong arguments, but I, I hearken back to what the Wright brothers must have been feeling like, right? You know, so they built this aircraft that everybody thought was decades away, just like the team at OpenAI, right? And they demonstrated its flight right, at Kitty Hawk. And it takes a few feet off the air, it goes down about 30 feet, we declare we can fly now. Now, plane, that Wright Brothers aircraft was dangerous, it was scary, we didn't know where the world was gonna be. And the question is, should we have stopped at that particular point in time and let that be the aircraft of standard? Or should we build and be thoughtful while we're building it, right, quickly replace that dangerous design with safer, more mature designs. And given the fact that these technologies, with OpenAI's uh, initiative and, and Google putting out the transformer out in the open world and much of this code is open source, I, th I think it would be a mistake to tell people to stop and think what we need to do is build safer systems. And so I do agree with the camp that says we need to focus on safety, but I think we should focus on safety by moving faster on the safety lane, invest more on the safety lane, right? Be thoughtful of, of what being responsible really means. Because if we're not, I use this as an example. I said, if we're not careful to the AI 
businesses and community. We don't want AI, particularly generative AI, to become the next GMO, right? If you're not thoughtful, you just throw it out there and you don't have guardrails, you can end up in that world where the world rejects you, right? You know, you could see a world where it says no AI inside as a branding strategy to buy products. The flip side of that is you can see with the right kinds of frameworks, AI can solve all sorts of problems that we thought would not be solvable within our lifetimes. That technology is right here in front of us now. We just got to be able to build systems that we can lie on and build it in the right way and kind of get off of the rickety aircraft that got launched or ChatGPT early versions. <laughs> that's so interesting. And I think, you know, one of the things that certainly resonates with us is that we need to spend money on getting this right. There's lots of money going into creating it and much less going into ensuring the safety. So I just want to dig a little bit deeper into your vision of how AI safety should develop because you've spoken and written about building frameworks that demand safe and more trusted AI systems. So can you tell us a little bit more about your vision for such frameworks and what should be the respective roles of government, industry, and academia on the basis that it takes a village to make sure that this is done properly? No, I totally agree. It takes a village, right? We can call it an ecosystem. We can call it a village. Uh, we can call it a partnership, a collaboration. But without it, it's not going to get done right. And, and each party brings certain sets of, of resources to the table. We'll start with the government. It's not just the U.S. government, but all governments. And it's not just the friendly governments, but even the governments we compete against. The way governments can really play a major role is in a few major areas. The first one is the power to convene. Right? Governments have an amazing power to convene, to bring the best minds in their country, respective countries and other countries together to kind of work through some of these tough, naughty problems, right? Because if it was easy, we would already have the answers and it's not easy. Governments also have other tools. You know, people talk about the tool to regulate and, and regulation is an important set of tools, but the challenge of regulations is it lags behind the innovation side. And if you regulate the wrong things the wrong way too soon, not only do you potentially stifle innovation, you may actually create more problems that you're trying to solve that leads to more unsafe systems. But the government also has, particularly the U.S. government, very powerful tools, things like organizations like NIST set standards. And you, know, and you look at an organization like NIST, they don't set standards in the dark. They work with industry to figure out, right, what are useful things like standards around data sets, potential standards around privacy, standards around test and validation of these systems, right? How systems correct themselves. Government can play a major role on that side. Government can also play a major role in how it funds research. Now, we fund billions and billions of dollars to DARPA, IARPA, NSF, our, our national labs, our grant programs. If AI safety and AI responsibility and ethical use is a high priority, we need to fund it. And it's not just the science side. I mean, we spend a lot of energy talking about the computer science, you know, how does the neural network, how does the transformer work? right? You know, do we use structured data or unstructured data, right? What's the compute model? All that's important, but it's also the soft sciences, sociology, psychology, right? Why are these things important? Because the end result of the machine doing this compute at the other end is usually not always, sometimes it's a machine, but generally it's in the current world is a human and how that human trust that information and interacts with that information and things like generative AI, it is a process. It's, it's the teaming between the human and the algorithm, that iterative process of going back and forth between the human and the AI to resolve and get better solution sets in that process. It's not simply Captain Kirk 
asking the computer, give me the answer to the universe, right? And so on the government side, you need to get serious on both points. Now, on the industry side, industry can't simply say, trust us, let us self-regulate. But one of the examples I use is kind of, I don't know if either of you remember the old Apple commercial for the Mac, the launch of the Macintosh, the Super Bowl commercial. It's 1984, and there's this ad, and there's a dark scene. You know, there's an authoritarian black and white figure shouting in the middle of the screen, and a bunch of zombies staring at the screen. And this beautiful Olympian, she comes running down, throws a hammer into the screen, blows up the screen, and the ad ends. Why introducing the Apple Macintosh? Why 1984 won't be like 1984? And we believe that. All the things that we created, the amazing things around the internet and the technologies, all the things that we created for good, we also were not mindful that we were potentially creating the frameworks for 1984 and the challenges that we live today with. So we get a redo, right, with this next generation of technology. We need to make sure this next generation of technology does not lead to 1984. So industry cannot bury its head. Industry needs to take responsibility of the things that they're building to understand that not just an ethical framework, but it is impossible to divorce bias from the technology. It's impossible. There is no bias-free technology in this field because of the way the data is being ingested and the kinds of data that's being fed. So companies have a responsibility on the output of that information to make sure that information is appropriate reliable and within the powers of the use of that technology appropriately being used and industry has a responsibility to deliver it and on the academic side one of the challenges they have is as much research as academic has done in ai and in the role of ai in the role of generative ai it is expensive to do right these systems cost billions of dollars to build maybe nothing to actually run them, but it'll cost you billions of dollars to build these systems. And so without that digital infrastructure of computes, that research can be built upon that. And that's where government comes back in. We need to get the universities to kind of stop competing with each other and start cooperating with each other with the research labs and build out a national, if not a global infrastructure to do reliable research that has researchers getting access to these tools and systems. Because as of today, there's probably less than 200 actual scientists and engineers who actually had hands-on with building a generative AI system. They're the actual, the core of it, not just taking some open source code. Well, I'd love to unpack all of that because it sounds like you just provided us a framework to really address and achieve responsible AI governance. So I'll start with the interplay between industry and government, which is perfect because this week all attention is on the Senate Judiciary Committee meeting we had on the oversight of AI. And you'd mentioned that you know government regulation can be an imperfect fit in some ways, that if it's done the wrong way, that it could create more problems. So I would love to get your thoughts on what that should look like. You know, at the hearing, there was a discussion about the creation of a new agency for oversight, uh, regulating AI licensing. We heard from industry experts on what they thought it should look like. You've, you've advised government, you are in industry, you've advised industry. What do you think the perfect regime would look like uh, where it sounds like industry would be having to self-regulate to some extent because they, they are managing the AI systems. We understand there needs to be the government investment in the research infrastructure, but in terms of the regulation piece, the, the, uh, the clunky one, uh, how would you advise on that structure? Well, first of all, I think we have to understand that the United States is not living by itself, right? And that the U.S. doesn't put out an appropriate regulatory regime, another country or another group of countries will. So whether you think it should be China, the European Union, the United States, it doesn't matter. Regulators are looking at this. So the U.S. has an opportunity to show the rest of the world that it can do it right and that other countries can actually follow a model that's responsible, that promotes innovation, but do it in a way 
that also protects its population. So that's our opportunity. That's our moment, right? When we wear our government hats. It's like, and if we don't do it, it's not just because industry may go off the rails, right? It's that other countries' frameworks then therefore will begin to drive the innovation. So the, the second thing is, you know, this issue of should we have a AI czar or, you know, should it be in the NSC or should we have a regulatory agency? I, again, regulatory regimes are a small set of tools government gets to use. I think what we're seeing is kind of our next Sputnik moment. It's like Soviet launch a satellite, it goes beep, beep, beep across the sky. We all stand up and we go, oh my God, the world's going to change in front of us. We better get the country up to speed on science and technology and start investing in science and technology. We better start thinking about strategies not to go on the defense, but go on the offense. So we better create institutions like NASA, right? And we need to make it a civilian-led organization, not a military-led organization. Fast forward to what we have today. Chinese had their Sputnik moment in AI when AlphaGo showed up, right? So, so they're a little bit ahead of the game than we are, right? Now, in spite of the fact that we've had AI commissions and everybody studied it, it wasn't to generative AI came out in the form of ChatGPT that we're right in the moment of the Sputnik moment. So what should be the framework? Well, yes, there should be coordinators and yes, you know, the, you know, the executive branch and the congressional should have a, a voice in this. My personal view right now, it probably needs to look a lot more like NASA than it looks like some cybersecurities are. So that's that's number one, right? Because it's a strategy to protect and promote, not just to protect or not just to promote. You got to do them both. I think it needs to be at scale because, again, this is not something that's going to be done on the cheap. So if it's going to cost you billions and billions of dollars for infrastructure, you know, that's kind of the, you know, that's kind of Apollo-esque kind of spending, right? It's kind of like chips is $50 billion. It's kind of Apollo-esque, kind of like spending. We need that kind of regimes. And we need the policies, not just on the companies, but the workforce and our populations. When Sputnik flew, it was like, it, this wasn't just about how to get better missiles and space and getting men and onto the moon. It was about... How do we transform our whole society? And they thought through things like how K through 12 education should change, how our university system should change. What should be the value chain of the aerospace industry to build into this race? We'll need to do the same thing. This is that collaboration between government, research and academia, industry, and even some of the traditional organization you know, nonprofit organizations should begin to think through these particular problems. They all have to have a piece. And they all need to have a role in it. And there's no magic pill. One person gets to swallow that solves all of the pain because, you know, sometimes simple solutions are simply wrong. Thank you. Thank you for that. And I'm sure Miriam and I, given that we both lead nonprofit organizations, are pleased to be included in the recipe that you've given us for how to make this happen and happen correctly for the benefit of not just us, but, but our futures as well. But now I really want to switch gears because as we mentioned earlier, you previously served as a commissioner on the National Security Commission on Artificial Intelligence, and that published its final report in 2021. We wondered if you could give our listeners a brief overview of what the commission examined and recommended and how you've seen some of those recommendations play out in the last two years. What do you believe are some of the global and national security challenges that you flagged in the report? And are we addressing them in the US or do they still need to be addressed? Let's first say that if you're ever interested in reading the report, it's available online. It's 750 pages, a great bedtime reading. Uh, but it made it a series of important recommendations. And I think the most important recommendation is set forth an ethical framework for AI. We started with the ethical framework, right? Because it's very easy to say, you know, ethics doesn't matter, that's somebody else's problem, just deal with the tech. And we laid out very clear set of frameworks for us to think about for ethical use. Second, that AI will impact all of society. 
It's not just the national security. It's not just the tech workforce. It's not just the STEM graduates. It'll affect the way we work, the way we communicate, how we live, how we research, right? It will touch every aspect of life, right? Everywhere on the globe. And the United States has this moment, as I said earlier, to take a leadership position in that. Because if the U.S. doesn't, right? As I said earlier, it's impossible to divorce cultural bias from any of these systems. So do you want systems to be built fundamentally with a democratic framework? And I'm not talking the, the Democrats in terms of the politics of democracy, but in terms of access, right, universal use in the promotion, or do you want it to be used principally for authoritarian kinds of applications, right? What, what trades are going to be made, particularly with large language models, which are trained on all the data available on the internet? The cultural bias is already built into the data sets in which these things are going to be trained on. So when you build guardrails, I think the Chinese Central Party's guardrails are going to look a lot different than the American guardrails. And I would say the European guardrails will look very different than the Americans as well. And the commission realized that. And we also recommend global engagement, right? Because, you know, this is a resource, like air is a resource, like the oceans are a resource. AI is going to be a global resource. And so because this is early in the game, the commission is very focused on that. We were also very focused on the workforce. And if we're going to want to build these technologies and, and take a leadership position in them, we need a workforce who understands how to use it because of the transformational as well as disruptive impacts that AI can have on things like job displacement, job replacement, job enhancement, job alternatives. It will affect us on how we think through education. We have a whole section on education. Why? AI can transform education if it's made accessible, right, across how we how we teach and how we learn. And on the national security side, right, how do we make sure that we build systems, particularly systems that potentially could be lethal? How do we make sure that we can maintain control of those systems who are responsible for the systems? And when is appropriate use of these particular systems? So we spent 750 pages making a series of recommendations not only how to spend money with what institutions we think should be built, but how we should be much more thoughtful, right? During this exponential cycle, we're going to jump ourselves into. And while there's a lot of what I call bipolar competition, China versus the U.S. in our dialogue, we have to understand that on the other side of the ocean, the Chinese are not only investing in AI because they want to be a world's leader in AI like most other countries, but because in their worldview, AI is going to be extremely important to solve a bunch of domestic issues as well as their global issues. So whether we like it or not, we're going to find ourselves in competition. Hopefully it will be healthy competition, right? Versus the other kind of competition that's much more destructive. And so the report covers that full range. And in spite of the job we did in that report, and many of the recommendations uh, are being adopted, where, we're, where we missed was how fast this technology would be adopted. And it was just published a couple of years ago. So the world changes in ways that's not predictable because of the nature of the world, right? And if anything, we need to go faster, not slower. Absolutely. It's amazing. You know, articles written a few months ago are already out of date with respect to AI. The world has changed and will continue to. So on that thread, you know, the report did such a great job of preparing us for the moment that we are now in and that this moment is dominated by discussions of large language models. But we know that that's one sliver of the AI ecosystem and that there's so much more that we will see from AI and that AI means. And, and you also mentioned that we're in the nascent stages of AI development. So I would love to get your thoughts on what are the big questions we should be asking 
for the five, 10 year horizon? What should we be prepared for? Let's start with the technology and then do the social and economic impact. So from a technology point of view, I look at generative AI, it's the, what I call the imagination engine of AI, right? Now, some people say, no, it's not having imagination, it's hallucinating. But it's actually, if you understand the math, right, it's actually giving you plausible other solutions that simply don't match up with reality at the moment. <laughs> so a few things have to get done with the technology. So first thing is, when we get concepts that come out of these systems, we have to have other systems that validate not only the quality and, and the truthfulness and accuracy of the information, right? But use it to inform other technologies like modeling and simulations of how to build systems that can also self-refine itself. We also need to do systems, right, that allow the human interaction interface between the AI and the human. So you don't have people doing things like falling asleep at their autonomous cars as they're or read a book as their car is, you know, going 60 miles an hour into a barrier because they totally trust the AI, right? So there's just a lot of work to be done in the AI front. Generative AI itself is a young technology that's growing. There are a bunch of other fields of AI, you know, uh, adversarial AI, that's also something that we need to examine. Now, the other thing we have to prepare for is both the positive uses and the negative uses. The po on the positive use front is, how fast can we integrate these technologies to actually build better systems, have systems that people can trust and make systems more reliable and more productive for men and humankind, right? We got to be able to do that. And the Chinese, one of their views is, while the US is great at inventing, we're better at integrating, right? So it'd be great to have all these technologies, but if it doesn't find its way into the classroom, it's not going to help education. Right. And if you don't have, no, have teachers who know how to use these kinds of systems to teach in a new way, right, the kids are not going to benefit from it. And if the kids don't have access to these technologies, right, they don't have the Wi Fi, they don't have the high speed networks, right, they can't get access to the media, then, they're, then you're going to have a class difference. So you have to think through that entire value chain over the next five or 10 years. The other thing is you got to smooth out the disruptive impacts, right? We watch. In the last cycle, when we were not as thoughtful, how we destroyed a large part of our manufacturing infrastructure in the United States, because economically, for a couple basis points of profitability, we outsourced. Right? We thought the smart thing was lean and mean systems and just-in-time manufacturing, and that you know globalization was going to solve the world's problems. And while it solved many problems, it created many new ones. When we put this technology in, and this is a set of technologies that not only can help us discover drugs that are not discoverable, it can also replace huge parts of our workforce if we're not careful. So how do we do that in a way where our workforce and our population adopts this technology in a responsible way, but migrate what we call work into more productive work rather than less work, right? So, you know, I, I would hate to see the technology due to folks who used to do the typing pool or used to be tellers in a bank get simply replaced by a machine. On the other hand, I think these technologies can be transformative if a nurse had this technology and he could apply capabilities of this AI for better care and better treatment of his patients, right? So it, it's, again, something you have to be thoughtful is not going to accidentally happen. Absolutely. It's not going to accidentally happen. I think that's probably my takeaway from, from our conversation. The, the, the term, <laughs> what we would just say is, it's not going to accidentally happen, but it could be an accident at the end. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so that's why we have to spend the money on sorting it out now. And so, you know, we talk on this podcast a lot about bias, and you've mentioned it a, a great deal as well in our conversation today. And you've also discussed with the news industry that, you know, if everything we click is the most extreme views as we apply AI, 
We are supercharging these systems. And how do we supercharge this in a responsible way? And one of the arguments that you've made is that one of the solutions is to better engage the soft sciences. And again, you mentioned that a little bit uh, earlier in our conversation. Can you expand on how you think those soft sciences can help create AI that better serves our society? You know, AI has an amazing ability to process large amounts of information based on its ability to sense the world, right? So the, we have sensors all around us. We have cameras in our phones and our computers. We have accelerometers. You know, our watches can read our pulses, right? Take a look at my oxygen level. It's amazing. We've got sensors everywhere. I mean, literally billions of sensors. And so some of those sensors, right, can serve us and help us ourselves, right? For example, a series of sensors can determine, as long as I have control and somebody else doesn't control, right, how my body is physically responding to a particular sense of input, right? So if I see something on the video, right, my, and it's like getting me excited, my watch knows that. It actually can see my pulse rate rising, right? If I am, right, emotionally being distracted, a camera looking at my eyes can detect that. So how can we put additional feedback loops into these systems? Not so that a massive cloud system in the sky will understand what I'm doing, but what I'm doing for myself and use AI to give me feedback. So for example, if I'm becoming obsessively addicted to something, that's happening on the screen and I can't break away from it. The Chinese use a different strategy that says, okay, you will, you, you only have so much time in the company's TikTok is different in China than here. TikTok in China says, if you have so much time after a certain amount of time, it shuts itself off. That's their solution, right? Our solutions do nothing at all. So somewhere between those two extremes is probably the right answers. These technologies can provide that feedback loop so that the systems themselves will help the individual, empower the individual to make better decisions using the data. One of the problems we have, particularly on things like information and news and why all of the extreme viewpoints are, are amplified, it's because the last generation of information systems was built on the economic model based on attracting people to click the button. So if you have a click economy versus a much more thoughtful economy that's built around these technologies, it drives behavior. And studying that from a sociological viewpoint as well as a psychological and physiological viewpoint is the parts of science we need to fund and make widely available. So as we regulate, as we provide those safety guardrails, as industry it becomes more thoughtful for trusted systems. And I believe the company who builds the most trusted systems in the long term is going to be the companies that win. Companies who make food that are of higher quality wins. I think we could do that with AI. But we can't do it in the absence of understanding the actual science behind it. And we're not funding enough the science behind it other than the science that makes it. And then unfortunately, the financial economy that's biased in a way to generate and maximize returns off the one simple mechanism that drives the entire internet today, clicks. The click economy, you've given us a lot to think about and unpack there, especially because you've also clarified that the right way will not happen by accident and accidents will happen. So we need to be intentional and thoughtful. And we are at this pivotal moment where we can choose a better path. We can choose to do this in a way that serves more people, that we can achieve some of the realities you pointed out for us that can be better with education and the workforce or that are not if, if we don't take this moment to do what's right. And, and you've given us so much to think about within the constraints of our reality. And for our last question, we'd like to ask our guests to take a step beyond reality. And, and if you were given a magic wand uh, where you were able to create one thing, you had one wish to help us achieve responsible AI, what would that wish be? You know, from my viewpoint, you know, my wish would be 
that we create a class of technologies in that human machine teaming that truly unlocks and empowers all of the creative minds, whether you're a writer, whether you're an artist, a designer, a scientist, a politician, a doctor. Historically, knowledge was basically something to hoard. There's an inflection of power. If I had the information and you didn't, and I could implement that information, I had a huge information advantage. It, didn't, it doesn't matter in the military, it didn't matter politically, it didn't matter in social and even in religion. If we do this right, right, my, my dream would be that we would unlock the imaginations and empower people for good around the world. And it's not just about who has access, who can fund it, right? Or who had that specific scientific training to use it. If we do that, we'll transform the world to be a better place and AI will be a major driver. If we don't, then all of the scary things that people are worried about will come true. Well, I love that. And we will all hope for your wish to come true. And Gilman, thank you so much for joining us and sharing your deep insights with us and our listeners today. Thank you. It's great to be here. Thank you very much. Well, Kay, as we thought, Gilman gave us so much to think about. What were some of the biggest takeaways for you? Oh, well, I've got pages of notes. And so it's hard to refine that into, into a few moments. But I guess the thing that he kept on saying was talking about the Sputnik moment. And I think that that was a really important lens to see this through. And so many things do flow from that. So he talked about how NASA had flown from that and how some equally important agency and well-funded agency, I loved the emphasis that he kept putting on, we need to fund security and safety and responsible AI. So I think that that was sort of the takeaway from which so much else flowed for me. I liked the way that he talked about government not just being there to regulate, but also being there to use the other tools of government. So the funding mechanism of government, the convening ability of government on a national and international level, and the bodies of government like NIST and some of the regulatory agencies. So I, I think that those were the two big takeaways that defined the conversation for me. Yeah, I'd agree with those. And I appreciate the illustrations he gave us so that for those who feel like we are in unnavigated waters, that you know, we have been in similar moments before, whether it's Sputnik or whether it's the Wright brothers, whether it's NASA that needs to be created or or something else. And for instance, with the Wright brothers, I, I really appreciate how he said, you know, we don't want to be stuck with the clunky, dangerous first generation development. We want to keep iterating on it. You know, this one in some ways is a little different because it's not just the lives of the pilots at stake and, and those people with, within their reach, but here we're dealing with a technology that's literally in almost everyone's reach. And so as with this technology, as the times go, you know, this becomes scaled at such a different level. But for that reason, I really like the NASA example he gave and talked about how it can't just be government promotion and it can't just be protection. It has to be both. And we have to think about scaling, which as you say, and as he said, is spending, uh, that is a key part of it. And, and you can't do the scaling without the investment. And then thinking about the whole ecosystem that needs to be in place to ensure this is scaled appropriately, to make sure that we have a workforce that is diverse, to make sure that there are not people left behind, to make sure that we don't create a broader economic and opportunity gap at this moment when it could go the other way and we could be creating 
so much more opportunity and so much more inclusivity in our design of AI, as well as the uses of our AI. And then how he drills the point home that, you know, we have this moment where we can create better systems. We can regulate in a thoughtful way. We can convene, as you pointed out. And if we don't, others will. Uh, so it's not just something that would be nice for us to do. It's pretty imperative if we want to help define what the economic future looks like, what the, the governance big picture looks like. And if we don't, then it becomes something that is dominated by others' values, uh, as well as the grander scale version of the problem of the click economy that he talks about, where we could have an even larger problem where we have this unintentional entire ecosystem created by our failure to govern appropriately. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree entirely. And of course, you know, there are some things that need to be put in place before we even can get that far. So I remember during the pandemic, Will I am talking about the fact that, you know, he had actually had to get computers to some of the children he supports in downtown LA. And also that, you know, trying to find internet for them was also hard. And we say, you know, it starts with broadband and things like that before we even get as far as AI. So there's that need for spending across the ecosystem and, and designing that ecosystem. I think for me, the two quotes that I liked best were, no click economy, we need a thoughtful economy. And, and that means that nuanced view. And then the other one, which of course I loved was, I believe that companies which make the most trusted systems will be the ones which win. That that would be good. Cheers to that. And I believe him. And as we always discuss, I do think that's how it will play out. Uh, and part of that is another quote of his that I really liked where he said, we have to all take heart. Companies have to face the fact that it is impossible to divorce bias from technology. It will be embedded. It is incumbent upon us to look for it. And not only is it the right thing to do, but it will be to their advantage, their competitive advantage and otherwise to do so. So, so much that we can glean from our discussion today. And I really enjoyed that. Thank you for another great conversation. Thank you. It's always a pleasure. Subscribe to or download our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. We always welcome your feedback. And if you like the podcast, please rate us or give us a review. To learn more or get involved, visit us at www.equalai.org and www.weforum.org. If you've enjoyed this podcast and want more unique content, please head over to Radio Davos from the World Economic Forum. And a special thanks to NP Agency, without whom this podcast would not be possible. 